It's the Euro Digest here on Football Digest. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Scotland left feeling chic at Hamden. Spain toothless in attack, while day five sees the reigning holders as well as the tournament favourites get underway. Here to get into all the latest tournament talk on Euro Digest, we have the Mirror's assistant sports editor, Alex Richards, and Chelsea correspondent at Football.London, Adam Newson. Gentlemen, I trust that you're both well. Alex, I'll come straight to you and let's get into the Scotland game. We've got plenty of fallout to get into for that. There was so much hope, so much expectation for them. In the end, we saw a goal of the tournament contender. Yeah, but unfortunately for Scotland, it wasn't for them. Um, you know, they've waited 23 years or so to to return to a major tournament and then it's 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 just kind of fallen flat on its face, hasn't it? Opening game, in theory, their easiest group game, the ideal opportunity to get off to a good start. Um, and, you know, there, there was some good moments. They were energetic. They... they had chances you can't deny that but the difference in just quality in that final third and and yes they were eventually seen off by an, an absolute wonder strike but Schick also scored a very very good strikers goal to begin with um, and that was just something Scotland didn't have they just didn't have that clinical edge to their play and, and in the end it proved costly yeah, I suppose, Adam, that is the key difference, isn't it? At, at tournament level, Scotland have been away for so long that they come up against a striker like Schick. There wasn't really too much between the two sides. Uh, Dykes up top for Scotland, he had a few chances, couldn't put any away, whereas Schick had the two and, and took them both. Yeah, exactly. That quality did did tell in the end. And I think, I wonder if the occasion maybe got to Scotland a bit. They came out that first half so frenetically that they sort of lost what they've done in qualifying. You know, they haven't played that sort of long ball football throughout qualifying. They've been a lot more patient with the ball and it all seemed to go out the window. So potentially the occasion and the atmosphere at hand, and even though there were 9,000 fans, maybe just sort of caused Scotland to lose their focus and... Um, and yeah, the Czech Republic took advantage. I thought they were they were very measured in what they did. And even though Scotland, I think, completely dominated XG, um, as you say, it was the, the finishing was a difference between the two sides, really. Yeah, now, Alex, it really ramps the pressure up on Friday on them, doesn't it? I think they were probably hoping if they could get a win that the pressure would be on England and they could come in as the underdogs. But now, really, all pressure's on them if they've got any hopes of getting through the group. Yeah, certainly. Um I think England it allows Gareth Southgate if he wants to, he can make some changes. He can he can freshen up his side. Um, Steve Clark, he knows he can't afford another defeat. They have to come and they have to at least get a point. Um, it'll be interesting to see do, does he how he changes his side. I'm surprised as we say, Lyndon Dyke started up front and, and and he had some chances. I was quite surprised that they went with him over Che Adams, who I think he moves very well. He's quick. He, he gives you a threat in behind. Dyke is much more of a rudimentary target man and and it didn't really work. And as Adam said, they started so frantically and they were, they were going long so early um, that it kind of played into the Czech's hands when it all settled down and and the Czech Republic were able to get on the ball and to, to pick apart the Scots and, and to, to play in the spaces that were left behind because they had tried to stretch the game so much. Um, Schick's, Schick's second goal is, is just something remarkable. I think we, we have to say that. I mean, it's, it's, there's, a, there's an angle behind the goal and when he first strikes the ball, he looks like it's going to the corner flag. You, you can pick it, you can, yeah. you can you can stop it, and there's a moment when the ball is heading to the corner flag, uh, and it just curves back round. It's an absolutely remarkable, brilliant finish, and, and credit to him because he, he he said afterwards that he'd seen David Marshall coming so so far off his line repeatedly, but why not? Why not have a go? And, yeah, and, no, and he made it count. <laughs> no, no, definitely. I, I think Adam is going to be goal of the tournament, isn't it? And 
Yarmolenko the following day after his strike for Ukraine against the Netherlands. That was a nice one that was set outside the post that curled back in. But yeah, that was it wasn't just a, a punt from the halfway line from Schick, was it? It was a really controlled finish. No, it was brilliant. I mean, to do that first time, and uh, as Alex said, to, to have the awareness firstly to, to see David Marshall, who, you know, I still would quite like to know why he was exactly that far off his line in the 50th minute of a game. Um, but to, to have the technique to, to be able to do it, um, it was fantastic. And it was the perfect sort of goal from that distance, really, because it didn't bounce before or anything like that, which personally I think takes away from it a little bit. It did hit, I think, hit the stanchion of the net at the back. So it was absolutely perfect. And um, yeah, I can't see a better goal being scored in this tournament, to be honest. No, I think a few people sometimes debate over those kind of long-range goals if they bounce and the keeper's all disorientated, but nothing he could have done with that one. It sailed right into the top of the net. Adam, I'll stick with you and just in terms of Scotland. Obviously, Jack Hendry, it was his shot that ricocheted into the path of Schick. There was a lot of clamour for the young players that Steve Clark had called up. One of them, of course, Billy Gilmore at Chelsea. Do you think he's got any hope of maybe coming in for the England game or, or getting himself some minutes in this tournament? I think it's unlikely that Billy Gilmore gets dropped in against England. I mean, personally, I, I'd quite like to see it. And I think he's got the the quality and composure, first and foremost. I think he's proven at Chelsea in the last couple of seasons, you can drop him into a big game um, against Liverpool in the FA Cup or against Manchester City at the Etihad, and he can produce a performance. I don't think he would, would, would shy away from being able to do that. But I have a feeling that Steve Clark probably won't turn to him just because he is inexperienced at this level. He's not played a competitive game. Uh, of football for Scotland in a major tournament. So I would be surprised. Personally, I'd like to see it um, because I do think he would probably calm things down a little bit more and get on the ball and actually help Scotland do what they did throughout qualifying, really. Yeah, no, definitely. On selection issues then and, and throwing ahead towards Friday, Alex, what, what do you think Gareth Southgate's going to be thinking? You alluded to it before. He might look to tinker and change things. Any chance Jack Grealish is, is going to come in? I think there could be. I think, I think you probably see a, an actual left-back um, for that extra bit of balance. I'm, no doubt he'll remain with a back four. You could possibly see Reese James playing at right back to give him more of an attacking threat down that side instead of Carl Walker. Um, I, I would still think that you, Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips will remain as that two. That's that's very much going to be the way forward now, especially after how, how Phillips played in the opening game. The only way he drops out is if Henderson returns to full fitness and proves that fitness. Um, but he's got this. He's got this rotating cast of attacking players now. With you know, we saw Foden, Mount, Sterling as the starters behind Kane. He can play Sancho. He can play Rashford. He can play um, Grealish, as we say. He's got the ability to chop and change depending on form, fitness, the needs of the game, basically. And and I think there's been so much clamour about who will be in this England starting lineup. But actually, we forget that. Well, there's games going at 60, 65 minutes where you're going to be nil nil. You're going to be one one. They're going to be tight. Bring on, bring on your, your flair players. Then the likes of Grealish in 25 minutes when the game starts to stretch a little bit and he can carry the ball. Same with Sancho. It's such a, an invaluable thing that we have that this, this who's going to start isn't really that important as what subs does he make. That's the key for Southgate throughout this entire tournament as we get deeper and deeper. So I think that he can play the same side against Scotland. I do think he will rotate a little bit because why wouldn't you? You've got the chance to keep players fresh. And there's players desperate to play. Bringing in someone like Sancho, who didn't even make the squad at the weekend, you bring him in, how hungry is he going to be? He's going to want to impress. He's going to be bang on it from the start. Little things like that, he can really work the mentality of the players going forwards. And I think we will see some changes, a little bit of tinkering. I don't think we'll see a formation change, but a more attacking side because you know Scotland, unfortunately for them, are there for the taking. 
Yeah, it was amazing that, that Ben Chilwell, the Champions League winner, and Jaden Sancho weren't even in the matchday squad for England. But that, of course, due to the 26-man squad for the tournament. Let's talk about then the, the other action from yesterday. We'll go with the, the Poland-Slovakia game first, Adam. And Wojciech Szczesny just can't seem to get a break at European Championships. He was sent off in 2012, injured in 2016, and gets an own goal to his name this time around. Yeah, it's an unfortunate run for him. Um, and you think, you you know, since he's probably left Arsenal, he has blossomed into a very, very good goalkeeper. So he would have liked to have obviously got off to a better start at this tournament. It didn't happen. Um, Poland, I didn't think were, were great yesterday, um, which I was a little bit surprised with. I was expecting more, but I thought Slovakia really did a job on them, to be honest. Um, yeah, it was a, a tough, a tough afternoon. And um I do wonder now where that leaves Poland. Um, they haven't scored more than one goal in a European Championships in a game before. Um, so they're going to probably have to break that going forward because I'm not sure they have the defensive solidity to keep clean sheets in their next two games. Yeah, no, I, I sort of was looking as, at Slovakia as kind of the minnows in this group, Alex. But with Milan Skriniar at the back coming up with a goal as well, he's been a player who's long been rumoured to be of interest to Premier League clubs and into Milan with their financial difficulties. You wonder if anyone is going to be having a look at him. He, he put in a brilliant performance as well, of course, as, as taking his goal really well. Yeah, he's he's a player that's really well known, and I think we've seen for a couple of years now he's been linked with with big money moves, and he's he stayed at Inter, and and he's been lucky enough that last season for a very good side and they won the Scudetto um, as you say financial problems there now Antonio Conte's left Simone Inzaghi's come in does he stay again he, they're going to continue playing a back three it seems and he's, he's perfect for that even though he's playing in a back four with Slovakia and as you say he took his goal like a, a centre forward his first touch was was immaculate to get the ball out in front of him and it was an unerring finish um, it, him and him and Marek Hamtic really the two leaders in this team um, and, and as, as Adam said, Slovakia really did a number on them. Um, there was a little spell where where Poland got their goal, and just before Krakowiak got sent off, that they they looked like they were going to take control, and you did wonder if Slovakia were going to wilt. Um, but as, as soon as Krakowiak went, and they were down to ten men, that Slovakia just kind of rolled their sleeves up and said, "Right, we'll have this now." But they really took charge, and they got their goal through Skriniar and. and Okay, Poland had a few moments. There was one delivery that was, went right across the goal. They never really looked like creating anything to to, to get an equaliser, and it, it was very much a, a surprise win. I think. Yeah, no, and I think the the biggest surprise as well in that group now is in Group E is that Slovakia are the side that top it. Adam, after Spain were struggled to really get part. Well, they did struggle to get past Sweden. Goalless draw in the end, and they didn't really. There were a few big saves from Robin Olsen, but there wasn't as much impetus as you might have expected from Spain. No, but I don't think that's a huge surprise, to be honest. I think going into this tournament, the big concern about Spain was where the goals were going to come from. You know, the, the year of David Villa and Fernando Torres is long gone and you're relying on on players like Alvaro Morata, who is very much a confidence player and, and going into this tournament in the, in the warm-up game against Portugal, Spain's fans chanted at him, um, how bad are you, Alvaro? Which no player wants to hear, but given Alvaro Morata is a, is quite a, a sensitive character, that's probably not done anything for his confidence. And then that miss yesterday probably has damaged it further. So maybe you'll see changes going forward. Maybe Gerard Moreno can come in. But um, but yeah, it was it was a disappointing performance in the sense of taking chances from Spain. But uh, I don't think the Spanish press are too disappointed just because of how well Spain dominated the ball. 
And I think going forward, there's an expectation that um, that as this competition goes on, that Spain are going to improve just because their preparation was was really hindered by the fact Sergio Busquets tested positive for COVID-19. That then threw their training schedule out the window, really. You had players training on their own for, for a couple of days in the build-up to the tournament. So I think the expectation is, yeah, not the best start, not the worst start, but Spain will probably get better as this competition goes on. Yeah, they are a classic side, even during their, their best time, Alex, that grew into tournaments Spain. Do, do you see them as contenders for this? Or on the evidence of last night, are you happy to rule them out? I think on the evidence of last night, the first really good side that they play will probably get rid of them. Um, because this is a team that Luis Enrique has really tried to push away from what we've seen from in the past. And, and yet last night we see them have 85% possession. Um, he wants them to be better in transition and, and be better in both penalty areas. And what we're actually seeing is, well, they're great in between the two penalty areas. Um, and in their own box, a couple of big chances, Alexander Isaac in particular, um, created havoc with, with moments, you know, nothing really, no real concerted pressure from Sweden, just moments that he caused havoc in that defence. Um, and at the other end, as we, as we saw, Alvaro Morata missing chances, Koke missed a couple of chances. Danny Almo forced a good save. Okay, we would hope that in the coming games we will see them take those chances. But as we, as mentioned, there's no David Villa in this generation, no clinical finisher there. And I think when they come up against somebody, a France, a Portugal, a Germany, even in England, when they come up against somebody like that, they will be punished at one end and they'll find chances more difficult to create at the other. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. In terms of Sweden, then let's have a word on them. And I think they're great hope. Alexander Isak, he put in a brilliant performance. First half looked as though he had one cleared off the line. It may have just been going wide. And second half put one on a plate for Marcus Berg, but he couldn't take it. There's a lot of talk around Europe around a certain Norwegian striker right now. I just wonder if this is another player who's going to be at the top end of the game for a good while to come and a far bit cheaper, Adam. Yeah, potentially. I mean, he, he obviously went to Dortmund when he was very, very young and things didn't work out for him there. And he, he moved on to Real Sociedad and he's really grown since doing that. Um, yeah, I thought he was absolutely sensational last night. He really did carry the fight on his own at times. And um, that chance he created for Marcus Berg, um, fair play for him to being able to go over to Marcus Berg after he missed that and sort of give him a pat on the shoulder. I'm not sure I would have been that, that charitable had... Had I done all that work and put it on a plate and my uh, strike partner had missed. But, um, but yeah, he, he's a real talent and I don't think he's necessarily going to be on the move this summer. And I do think Dortmund have the option to, to re-sign him. Alex probably knows that better than I do. But, um, but yeah, he, he's definitely a talent who's probably going to just continue developing and improving in the seasons ahead. Yeah, he's, he has, I think, got that buyback option, hasn't he, Alex? But he looks a player to me, certainly the physique of him, but also how nimble he was as well, that looks as though he could be ready-made for the Premier League. He has been linked with a move to Arsenal, but that probably looks quite complicated to get done. Yeah, he looks like somebody who he's got a little bit of everything about him. He's got the good physique. He's got good, he's got good size. He's quick. He can move well across the ground. He's good in the air. He can finish, as you say. He's got quick, nimble feet. He can evade tackles. I think there was one. There was one moment where he um, he went away from a defender, come back to him early in the second half. Uh, it might have been Laporte, and he just fronted him up, dropped a shoulder, and just went around him like he wasn't there again. And it, and, and I, that was something I'd, I'd never really looked at him and thought that's in your locker. And and it was just a new aspect of his game. And as you say, he looks like he's got a little bit of everything about him. And I think he's somebody that. If, if teams weren't already paying attention to, they'll have, they'll have seen little moments last night where they'll have kind of made them go, oh, 
there's something a little bit different there that, that perhaps we thought he was okay. Maybe we thought he was a six out of 10. Maybe he's gone up to a seven on, on their scale and want to keep watching that little bit more. Let's get on to day five then. Just two games today, Hungary versus Portugal and France versus Germany. Let's start with the holders. And Alex, there's a fair few Wolves players within that squad. Um, that connection they've obviously got with Portugal. Premier League know-how and Premier League fans will know what a, f- a fair few of them are all about. They've still got Cristiano Ronaldo up top. I would say from the 2016 squad that won it five years ago, they're a far more rounded team now. Yes, yeah, certainly. I think they're a far more um, better team in possession. I think they've got more more match winners than they had then. Um, perhaps they've lost a little bit of the defensive solidity. Perhaps they're not as, um, I, I don't want to say naughty defensively, but perhaps they're not as, they're still well organised, but they haven't got that little bit of extra bite. They haven't got those, Pepe still there, so they'll always have the dark arts about them. <laughs> but but they're, not, they're not as dark. They're not, they're not so willing to grind out games. They want to go and play. They want to go and impress themselves on on matches. And they've got the players to do it now. You, you see the likes of Bruno Fernandes, João Felix um, have come in. Diogo Jota's there to add, add his spark and his running ability as well. They've got a little bit more about them than they had. Um, whether that translates, because of course, you know, they only won one game in 90 minutes last time and, and still managed to, to win the entire competition. I don't think they'll do that again. I think if they if they are going to be winners, they're going to win more than one in ninety minutes. And and this is a group where they can't really afford to just kind of not turn up because if they if they if they just try and do the bare minimum and just about progress, they're probably going to get found out in a group that also contains France and Germany, aren't they? Yeah, they try and draw their way through the group stages they did last time. Yeah, they might come unstuck, but it seems to me, Adam, a typically. Portuguese squad full of attacking midfielders and wingers, exciting players who are going to get you on the edge of your seat. And as I say, they've got Cristiano Ronaldo. You know that they are always going to pose a threat, albeit they're in this group of death. Yeah, I think from the sort of biggest difference we're going to see from Euro 2016, or, or hopefully the biggest difference, is we're going to see a, a Portugal side that's a lot more entertaining. Um, they do, as, as Alex said, they do have a lot more uh, attacking players in there. You know, Joao Felix hasn't maybe necessarily had the best couple of years at Atletico Madrid, but he is an absolutely huge talent. And um, maybe it's a tournament is a perfect environment for him to really deliver. And yeah, Bruno Fernandes, I mean, he's played so much football uh, over this season. If he can still produce at the level he was for Manchester United then and he's obviously going to have a big say on how Portugal do and um, and yeah they, they've got so much sort of different kinds of threats um, that I'm really hoping that we see an entertaining Portugal side and and as you say Cristiano Ronaldo he's he's obviously going to be desperate to, to, to continue scoring uh, because it's what he does and he's uh, and he will want to try and get to another Euro final and actually finish at this time rather than in 2016 when he ended up being a de facto coach on the on the touchline and then claimed all the glory with the, the trophy yeah what else would you expect um what about <laughs> hungary though because their their star man dominic schlovitzler he's injured unfortunately i was really looking forward to seeing him in this tournament and i suppose for hungary in this group it is going to be a, an almighty ask for them well, yeah i think i think he's their star man isn't he? he's he's kind of the reason they got here crucial goals in qualifying and and to lose him and, and to lose not not just his quality that, uh, with the ball of being a player, but just that ability that he has to to score from range. He's, he's a very prolific shooter from distance and, and 
And that's, you don't really want that to be a key weapon of your arsenal. You want to be creating chances and getting in the box to do it. But his ability to score from distance was huge for them. Now, missing him and, and you've got to think that in, they're going to have three games where they're not going to dominate the ball, where they are going to be spending a lot of time defending and, and playing on the break. He's a major blow. And I don't think by any... We did, we did power rankings for, for the tournament and I don't think by any means they are the worst team in the tournament. But unfortunately, with this group, they had to be bottom because <laughs> France, Germany, Portugal... Uh, I'm sorry, lads, you, you've really... You've really had a, had an absolute shocker with this group through no fault of your own, and, and and I just don't see any way that Hungary progress. No, it's going to be very difficult. The other game, then, of course, France versus Germany, the the overwhelming favourites for the tournament. Adam up against a German side who maybe have reached the end of the road. Of course, Yogi Love is leaving at the end of the tournament. Hansi Flick's going to be coming in. But for France, they've already seen the performances put in by the likes of Italy, Belgium, maybe even throw England into that mix as well. They'll want to deliver a strong opening performance themselves. Yeah, definitely. And you, you run through that team and it probably will pick it itself. Maybe there's a, a question over who starts in midfield alongside Kante and Pogba. Maybe it's uh, Rabiot, maybe it's Toliso. But other than that, I think you pretty much know that the team that they're going to put out and it is incredibly strong. Um, and then you drop to their bench and it's equally as strong. So... Yeah, this this France squad is is absolutely spectacular. I mean, there's such depth, there's there's such quality, there's such differing qualities as well that they can they can bring in. Obviously, the likelihood tonight is they start with uh, Griezmann and Benzema um, and Mbappe, but you know they can always turn to Oli Giroud, who is a very different forward and brings uh, a lot of different things to the team. Um, obviously, there's this sort of caveat that that Mbappe and Giroud have had a bit of a falling out. Um, which seems to, you know, I don't think what Giroud said was that bad, um, but there seems to have been a little storm in a teacup developed somehow. Uh, but hopefully, you know, from a French perspective, that's all put to bed now. And and yeah, it's hard to really look past them uh, going into this game tonight and, and going through the tournament just because of the quality they do possess uh, across their team. Yeah, no, it wouldn't be the French, would it, if there wasn't some kind of drama bubbling away in the background. But that seems to be one of the, the key things, actually, that Didier Deschamps has done in his time. Of course, they got to the final five years ago. They then won the World Cup, Alex, and they seem to have built a very cohesive unit that almost is like a club side. As Adam says, you know what the France team is going to be, albeit there'd been pressure for a long while for Karen Benzema to come back into the fold. He is now Adrian Rabiot having fallen out with Didier Deschamps as well. He doesn't seem to bow to pressure and has been able to build a cohesive and collective unit. No, he doesn't. And it's certainly been his way or the highway, so to speak, throughout his, his tenure. I'm intrigued to see how he how he does line this team up now. Um, because I think the great strength that France have had, both in 2016 and in 2018, was that he was so pragmatic. It, it didn't matter what, what went on in the, in the game. It was just about winning. And ultimately, they came unstuck against against Portugal in, in extra time with that Eder goal. In 2018, they they had learned from that and that they were more hardened. And, you know, I think we saw that from in the, the semi-final against Belgium where he had Pogba playing a, a really key defensive role and man-marking Fellaini on set pieces and, and everybody knew their roles and that pragmatism was, was really what underpinned them. I think now he's brought back Benzema and we've seen in some warm-up games that Benzema and Mbappe have been kind of playing as a front two. There's been Griezmann playing in the hole behind them. In in their last outing, Mbappe played from the left and, and Pogba was in behind and Griezmann played from the right. He's tried to add a little bit more sheen to the attack and to be a bit more versatile. And I do wonder if that could take away from some of the defensive stability the other way. 
um, and allow particularly Germany, particularly Portugal, a chance to get at them. But then, you know, you caveat all of that by just saying, well, N'Golo Kante's playing in midfield and doing the work of two <laughs> men and covering everyone. So perhaps perhaps Didier knows best and this extra gloss of attacking sheen that he's adding to the side is just going to make them even better. Just sticking with you, Alex, it's going to be an almighty ask though, isn't it? The fact that they've reached the final in 2016, they won the World Cup. To then go again, of course, we did see Spain do similar in, in the late, uh, noughties and into the early 2010s and, and France of course in 98 and 2000 won back-to-back tournaments but to reach three finals in a row is going to be some ask albeit they if anyone's got the squad to do it it is them certainly will be but as you both allude to they've got the squad and they've got they've got the different players that they can make it work as Adam says Olivier Giroud on the bench isn't a bad guy to bring on if you if you 10 minutes to go and you're you're bombarding an opponent's penalty area you need somebody to hit and to play the little one-twos off He's absolutely ideal. They've got so many match winners, so much quality throughout. Even someone like Wissam Ben Yedda, he knows where the back of the net is. He knows how to do those little things in the penalty area that either set up a chance for someone else or set up a chance for himself. They are the team to beat, quite frankly. And, and even, even in a tough group like this, you, you still make them favourites for the entire competition. Yeah, no, most definitely. Before we sign off then, let's talk about Germany. And Adam, with the, the Chelsea links with Germany these days, the likes of Rudiger, Havertz and Werner, we've got to come to, to you on this. And what are we kind of expecting from Germany? Is it going to be a tournament too early for someone like Havertz to really break out and be the main man for them? Or is this now, after winning a Champions League, the time for him to step up and help lead for his country as well? I don't think it's too early for, for Kai Havertz to, to have make a major mark on this tournament. I think he didn't necessarily have the, the easiest first season at Chelsea. I mean, there were extenuating circumstances around that. He, he had a really bad uh, bout of COVID. Uh, he had an injury. He wasn't necessarily being used in the right role by Frank Lampard. Um, but in the latter weeks of the season, he really started to come to the fore and you could see the, the, the top, top quality he really, really had. And I think he's going to be really integral to what Germany want to do. Uh, in this tournament, I think he's such an intelligent player that he can link her alongside the likes of Thomas Muller uh, really well. Um, I don't think we're going to see too much of Timo Werner in the starting eleven, maybe from the bench as an option. Um, and then obviously there's Antonio Rudiger, who comes into this tournament off the back of an absolutely stellar sort of three months for Chelsea. He's been one of Chelsea's absolute standout players during their run to, to the Champions League. Um, under Thomas Tuchel, he's been absolutely flawless on the, the left of a back three, which um, it looks like Germany are, are going to play in this tournament, um, which will be good for Rudiger because um, he has played in the, in that role so well. Um, it does kind of throw a few question marks around certain other players. I think Joshua Kimmich might be playing as a, a right wing back, which is a, is a move which then you lose him from the centre of midfield. <laughs> But then you've obviously got Tony Cruz in there and, and you know, Kai Gundogan, so you generally have options. Um, but from a from a Chelsea perspective, yeah, I think Kai Havertz can absolutely take control of this tournament if he wants to. Um, and then I say, I think Rudiger will probably have a, a good tournament as well uh, in the right system which Germany are playing now. You mentioned Rudiger there, and just before we do go, one of the unheralded stars of the Champions League win for Chelsea. And read a piece that you've put on Football.London regarding his future heading into the final 12 months of his contract. Is this maybe him with a chance to put himself in the shop window? Or what is the situation with him regarding his future at Chelsea? Because he seems to have been brought out the deep freeze by Thomas Tuchel and become a real key player. Yeah, exactly. He, he was was brought into starting eleven. As I said, he he absolutely starred uh, in the last few months of the season. His situation is yeah, his contract expires next summer. 
Um, Chelsea haven't been able to to agree terms on a new one yet with him. He isn't discussing his contract over the Euros. He's waiting to the end of the European Championships and then we'll sit down with Chelsea and, and try to, to come to terms. I think he he's 28 now. He's looking for a, a longer term deal, maybe sort of four years, um, which would take him to 32, which I'm not sure Chelsea are necessarily willing to, to grant him. Um, and the reality is that Chelsea don't tend to to, sell, to lose players of value um, on a free transfer. We've seen in the past they've they've sold Thibaut Courtois, they've sold Eden Hazard uh, within twelve months uh, remaining on their contract. And Antonio Rudiger, and especially if he has a good Euros, will be of value to Chelsea. Um, and if that's the case, and they can't agree a new deal, it wouldn't be a huge surprise to me if they then look to to sell him to the to the right buyer because they will not want to lose a player who's worth. 20, 30 million, whatever you want to put on him uh, for nothing in 12 months' time. That's not really what Chelsea do. No, certainly. Well, that's it from us for this edition then of Euro Digest. We'll be back tomorrow, of course, to pick the bones out of the final round of first group games to get played. But from myself, Guy Clark, Alex Richards and Adam Newson, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. Hold up. 